the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicles. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Welcome to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Every week, Josh will teach you ways to help manage, risk, and protect your retirement income in the new economy. The primary focus at Aptus Wealth is to provide flexible planning strategies that can efficiently achieve your long-term retirement goals. Welcome to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. You can join Josh as he talks retirement with Bruce Hooley every Monday at 6 p.m. on 98.9 The Answer. We call it Money Mondays. If you miss it, the recording, you can always find it at aptuswealth.com, which is Josh's website. And if you'd like to schedule an appointment to go through the Aptus Blueprint process, Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, you know I've been on a TikTok kick, correct? I do. So one of the stories, a gentleman turned in his truck. I think he had a Ford something super heavy duty, da, 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 da. He bought it for 73,000. He put 22,000 miles on it and sold it for 72. So this brought up the question and in the comments, someone explained that your depreciating asset is not increasing in value the way the gentleman demonstrated or talked about on the video. He said U.S. dollars are decreasing in value. It's taking more of them to buy the same stuff. And the guy was like, keep the truck, don't sell it. Another person said that's not what, that is not what is happening. Supply chains are stressed. Commodities are increasing in value. So what, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I tend to agree with the last person. So let me give you another story. I have a very good friend, one of my best friends. He bought a truck less than a year ago. It was right kind of at the you know first few months of COVID. He paid $65,000 for the truck. He put 32,000 miles on it. And a week and a half ago, he traded that truck in or sold that truck. And they gave him $70,000 for that truck. So he actually made $5,000 to drive a truck 32,000 miles. Now, the flip side of that scenario, though, is when he went to buy his new truck, his new truck was worth the cost was a lot higher than what it would have been a year ago as well. So I think all these people are right to some degree. Is inflation a real thing? Yes, inflation last year was over 4%. That's the first time it's crept over 4%, I believe, in the last 25 years. Um, Inflation's been running at about a 2.5% rate, and last year was about 4.2%. So inflation is clearly an issue, and inflation simply means that the value of the dollar is going down. So one of your examples, that person is being accurate. Your dollars are buying less today than they did 12 months ago. However, we also do have a supply chain issue, quite significant supply chain issue. I have a client who runs a dealership here in town, and on average, 
they get about three, they sell about 300 cars a month and they get between two and 400 cars per month, which makes sense. So if we're selling 300 and we're getting new cars per month, we're good. They were allocated less than 20 for July. So we have a significant supply chain issue and you can hop online and find out that there's chip issues and we're not receiving, you know, these uh, electronic chips to make the cars work. And that issue is really exacerbated in the truck market. So trucks are selling for a lot. That said, and the real question will be, when all those chips come in, will the prices remain the way that they are? Right. Go ahead. Well, and did this all start because the rental companies let go of all their all their cars, and they're the ones that are stressing the chip manufacturers because now they have to buy huge fleets? Because of COVID, they've sold off their fleets, and now they need to replace them? Yeah, I've heard a, a myriad of explanations for this. I've heard that... You know, during COVID, a lot of the manufacturers that were making electronic chips for cars, since the car purchasing was so down that they started shifting some of their plants to producing electronic chips for something else. And it's not as simple as just saying, okay, now people want to buy cars, let's turn it back around and flip the script. And now we're producing those chips. There's a, there's a buildup time there. I've heard the fleet story, which is exactly what we just said, demand for cars. There's a lot of factors that are going into this, but um, you could say that there's also, you know, during COVID, a lot of the manufacturing plants shut down. China manufactures a lot of these chips, and we know that they're going through a resurgence and an issue with COVID, and they have their own inflationary issues going on now. So now you have products and or products coming out of China that aren't quite as competitive as they used to be, which, by the way, hopefully will be a good thing for U.S. manufacturers. But uh, there's this whole supply chain issue that at the end of the day hit the truck market the hardest. And when there's no supply and there's equal demand or even an increasing demand, you have rising prices. And that becomes a huge problem. And we saw that dramatically. The real question will be, when all those chips arrive, will that cause prices to go down or are we just going to stay where we are? And while I think uh, the rate at which inflation goes up is going to settle, I don't think we're out of the woods yet on this thing. I, I, I don't see inflation stopping. I don't see prices, you know, one that comes up all the time and I'm kind of hopping around a little bit, but is housing. I don't see the housing market plummeting. Um, and that's something that you can add your opinion to as well, Diane. But I, I really see that inflation is amongst us. It will slow. It won't continue on the same clip. I saw a stat that used car values are up over 20% in some areas of the used car market. So, I mean, a lot of things are climbing. I don't see them continuing to climb by double digits, but I don't see them retracting really quickly either. So how does that affect those uh, in or nearing retirement? Well, the big fear that people have about inflation, and I hear this a lot, is the Venezuela you know, story. And if you haven't heard that, you know, Venezuela has been going through a period of hyperinflation. Inflation is always amongst us. So things always get more expensive as years go on, except for, for the rare cases where we have uh, the reverse or inverse inflation, decreasing inflation. But on average, things get a little bit more expensive every year. But what we're always scared of is when those numbers start getting out of whack. Think of the 1980s where inflation rates were up over 14%, et cetera, during the Carter administration. And then people you'll hear when they're trying to scare the living heck out of you and get you to buy things, they'll use examples like, well, what about Venezuela? We're going to become the next Venezuela. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, since 2016, Venezuela has been in a period of hyperinflation. You say, what does that look like? I want you to really try and wrap your arms around this. Since 2016, the cumulative inflation that Venezuela has experienced is over 53 million percent. 
53 million percent. So if you have a dollar, you now need 53 million dollars to equate to what a dollar used to spend in the last five years. So do I think we're heading there? No. At least, God, I hope not. But the fear is that what if I enter into retirement and my dollar, which used to be worth a dollar, is now only worth a nickel? How are my assets going to maintain some semblance of purchase power? I don't want to be 80 years old and not be able to buy milk. That's the real fear with inflation. Well, fortunately, um, the risk of inflation is largest as you look at cash. So if you put all of your money in cash and you're not investing in anything, then inflation should be terrifying to you. But if you own a home, inflation is a good thing for you. Inflation will drive your home up. If you own stocks, inflation in the long run is arguably a good thing for you because the value of that goes up. Commodities, everything is going to track with that. On top of that, your Social Security does have an inflation adjustment. And you'd say, yeah, but it's not going to go up by that much. Back during the 1980s, Social Security had inflation adjustments in the teens, year over year. So did it keep up with consumer price index? Did it keep up with your ability to purchase things? It, in fact, did. The only issue that I see that's facing the retiree today in the way of inflation, and I'm not, belittle, I'm not minimizing the impact of inflation. We certainly need to plan for it. But the real wild card is health care as it relates to inflation, which we can dive into deeper if you, if you want to, Diane. But inflation can be managed. You have to invest accordingly. You have to be invested, which is oftentimes difficult in times of fear. So as we come off the longest bull run in the history of the stock market, and you say, well, I know I need to be invested, but what the heck do I invest in? Because I'm worried about the stock market losing 50%. And if I lose 50% and then inflation's an issue, then I just got hit with a double whammy and I'll never make it. So how do I invest my money to protect it, but to combat against the impact of inflation over time? And there are many answers out there. And the answer is first step, contact us and let's start the plan and we'll show you how to get there. And to complete that step, let me give you Josh's number. It is 614-364-7300. That is 614-364-7300. What about food? I mean, we see in Japan it's $35 for an apple. Could we see inflation happen here where the cost of just basic necessities like food, even though it's good for housing prices, we can't, you know, we can't tap into our house to to purchase basic necessities. I mean, I guess you could, but could inflation cause our food costs to, to skyrocket to where it's a concern for retirees? I think it is a concern, particularly um, on imported foods. Uh, we have a great agricultural system in the United States, however. So if you look at the amount of uh, meat, the amount of produce that we produce in the United States, that's a huge advantage to the United States over some other countries in the world. Uh, could those prices skyrocket? Yes. Does the government have a lot of controls to manage the cost structure of those items in the United States? Yes. So do I think inflation is going to impact all areas of our life? I do. Do I think that we have to worry about $35 apples anytime soon? I do not. Um, there's no evidence to support that. But oftentimes we like to point to like the Venezuela argument. Well, Venezuela has a lot of issues in a completely different governmental system than we have. That enabled them to get into there. And am I saying that the U.S. has got all these problems licked and we know exactly what we're doing? No. But we certainly have more checks and balances. We certainly have a more stable economy. We certainly certainly have a more um, in-demand dollar around the world and a much more uh, stable dollar than a lot of these other countries that we see. 
On top of that, Japan's had a really rough go of it with their GDP growth. So not only do they have issues with inflation, but they also have issues with just overall uh, growth in their country. So hopefully we can combat a lot of these things. They all need to be taken into account, though, and we certainly need to develop a plan. The one thing I can assure you, Diane, is sitting in your house and, and uh, having a problem for every solution. And we all, know, all, we all know these people, right? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what's going to happen if I do this. Well, then this is going to happen and all, all hell's going to break loose. And then what ends up happening is those people will tell you all the things you shouldn't do, but give you no solutions to what you can do to maximize your potential with the cards that you've been dealt. We all have a, a hand in front of us that we have to play. And not playing it will certainly lead to your demise, meaning the worst thing you can do is sit with analysis paralysis, sit in fear, and keep all your money in cash and just say, well, everything else is going to be bad, so I'll sit in cash. When ironically, in a period of hyperinflation, cash is the single worst investment that you can have in your possession. So we have to do something. I don't think things are going to be as bad as everybody's saying. Do I think they're going to get worse than they were 10 years ago? They already have. Do I think that there's a potential for them to get worse from here? Yes, absolutely. Do you still need to come up with a solution to that problem that gets you to where you need to go? Yes. And there are solutions. You just need to actually do something. And for God's sakes, turn off your TV sometimes and quit uh, diving down the rabbit hole of the Internet where they tell you that, uh, you know, you just got to put all your money in golden food stores or uh, we're all going to die. Yeah. Um, ignore those people. They're just trying to sell you snake oil. And people that point to Venezuela, I mean, other countries have been dealing it with high inflation for years. Mexico, you know, so it's funny that they pick Venezuela because it's been happening to European countries where their dollars are devalued and the U.S. has always uh, remained to beat that or somewhat stable. To schedule sure. an appointment with Josh to go through the Aptus Blueprint process, Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. And you can join Josh as he talks retirement with Bruce Hooley every Monday at 6 on 98.9 The Answer. That's 6 p.m. The recording you can also find at aptuswealth.com. More with Josh Pick when we come back. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, you can give Josh a call and his phone number is 614-364-7300. 614-364-7300. Jot that number down. Josh, before the break, we were talking about inflation. So when we are in a period of inflation, is that the best time to invest in gold? You know, I get that question a lot, Diane, and and everybody comes in and says, you know, what about gold? Should I buy gold? Should I hold gold? 
And uh, there's two very distinct opinions on this. If you listen to, I'll use another radio guy, um, Dave Ramsey. He's a he's in staunch opposition of owning gold. And the logic between uh, of him is, gold has been a terrible investment and is literally just based on supply and demand and fear. And I agree with that. Actually, gold has been second in the worst investment category, only to cash. So if you look at stocks, real estate, agricultural, land, etc., gold is only beaten cash in its appreciation over the last 50, take, take the time period, it doesn't really matter. And then if you look at a guy like Ray Dalio, who runs Bridgewater and Associates, one of the most renowned hedge fund managers of all time, he says every portfolio right now should have an element of gold for stability. So how can these two people have such varying opinions? Well, gold is in the long run been a very terrible investment. And typically in times where gold is hot is when people buy gold. So if I look back and I say back during, you know, 2008, 2009, 2010, after everybody already lost all their money in the stock market, people would then shift to gold because they said, you know, well, gold's already at $2,000 an ounce. It's going to go even higher because everything's coming to an end. Well, what happened with gold is, yes, it did go over $2,000 an ounce, and now it's hanging uh, underneath, last I checked, underneath $1,800 an ounce. So if you own gold for the last 12 years, you've actually lost money. So clearly it's not a great investment. Now, the argument is, as we're heading into another potential downturn, because we're in the longest bull run in history, I think Ray Dalio probably, and I I hate to speak for him because I I don't know what his thoughts are, but the valuation looks reasonable uncertainty looks high and in periods of uncertainty and economic collapse when that fear hits people run to gold should drive up the price whereas dave ramsey's opinion is probably because in the long run it's been a terrible investment so my response to your question is a combination of probably both of them and that do i think that gold is a great investment to hold for the next 30 or 40 years probably not unless something drastic changes Um, and we could get into the fundamentals on why that is but In the short run or in periods of uncertainty, gold is a great investment to hold. For example, we held quite a significant percentage of many clients' assets in gold during COVID. So once February, March hit, by the end of March, we had positions in gold. And that reduced our volatility dramatically because during COVID, with the market volatility, a lot of people ran to gold and we did very well in gold. So my, my answer to your question is, I'm not opposed to gold, but it needs to be used very uh, intermittently and strategically. So don't just shift everything that you have right now and go buy a bunch of gold thinking that it's going to shoot up to $5,000 an ounce. While it might happen, uh, it, it's hard to find a time period to justify uh, that ideology. And can we go back and unpack, you had mentioned healthcare, um, and, and that's one thing that retirees or people nearing retirement possibly could be concerned about because of inflation. Can we, can we go through that and explain that to listeners? Yeah. So when you retire, the good news is, um, you know, I think we've heard some horror stories about Medicare. You know, I remember when I was a kid hearing people saying, well, you know, grandma's going to go on Medicare or, you know, our neighbor's going to go on Medicare. And uh, that's terrible. And that's because health insurance was great at the time. Um, But now most health insurance plans, and I'm sure a lot of people will nod when I say this, they're not very good. Um, And Medicare is probably about the best game uh, that you can play. Medicare is quite a robust plan, particularly when you couple it with a Uh, a supplement or, you know, get an advantage plan of some kind. But the cost of that goes up every single year. 
and the cost of those supplements have the potential to go up. Now, the government has really held back those increases quite significantly, and I know people that might be listening are going, not for me, my price has gone up a lot. You're absolutely right. Your price has gone up significantly, but if you compare it to other plans for people who are currently working, it hasn't gone up nearly as significantly as their plans have gone up. So the challenge is this. Is that sustainable? And how? And uh, what will the cost of those supplements be as we now have baby boomers at a significant rate pumping into the retirement system of Medicare? The other one that I'm concerned about is uh, Medicaid. So as it stands now, Medicare pays for your health, hospitalization, all that stuff, prescription drugs, et cetera. But in the event that you go into a long-term care facility, which we know the stats on that, and they're quite significant, it's about a coin flip that everyone that's listening to this is going to end up at some point in their life in a long-term care facility or assisted living, et cetera. The way that it works now is you pay for it out of your own pocket until you don't have any money more. And then once you don't have any money, Medicaid picks up the tab and you can get great quality of care through Medicaid. Well, for most people, having that safe haven or that fallback, I mean, think about somebody, you know, they, they're living off of Social Security and they have an extra 50 grand or 100 grand that's helped supplementing that income in the bank, which is a large, large, large percentage of the population. They go into a long-term care, uh, God forbid, memory unit, and they're there for 10 years or they're there for five years. We know the costs of these are astronomical. You're talking, you know, six, seven, eight, nine thousand dollars a month, and their let's say their Social Security is only two thousand dollars a month. Obviously, their extra fifty or hundred grand isn't going to last very long. Well, they don't get kicked out on the street at that point. Medicaid picks up the tab. Is that sustainable? And the answer is neither one of these programs are actually financially sustainable at its current funding rate. So something's going to have to give. Either uh, working Americans are going to have to start paying more into the program, the program's going to have to lose some level of, you know, let's call it robustness, if that's a word, um, or we're going to have to start putting more limitations on Medicaid. And I know this is not favorable information, and I'm certainly not winning any fans by saying this, but it concerns me as we look at the financial plan as to what will these programs look like 10, 20, 30 years from now because they are simply unsustainable at the current level. And that's really the wild card, Diane, that I, I don't even know how to forecast. So we can stress test it, and we certainly do that. And we say, what if it goes up by 50%? What if it does this? What if it does that? And we want to make sure we build that into the plan. But that is one significant wild card that could change. Now, the good news is, if it maintains its level playing field as it is today, it's a tremendous plan, and it, it makes it very, very easy for us to plan. But when you start throwing in those stress tests, you know, we start saying, what ifs? That can get a little bit scary, so we have to make sure that we, we plan accordingly for that. And what, how long are the cycles of inflation historically? There is really no cycle of inflation. You know, if you look historically speaking, inflation is always amongst us. There's been very few periods of time where there's been uh, negative inflation. Almost always things get more expensive every year. It's just a matter of by how much. And, you know, to tell you how significant of a difference that can be, if you retired in 1980, you were experiencing, like I said, you know, inflation rates in the teens. If you, infl if you uh, retired in 1995, you've been experiencing inflation at roughly 2.5%. So its impact can be quite dramatic. What you need to make sure you do is you have investments in income streams. Remember that, that uh, three-legged stool we talk about, Social Security being one of those legs on the stool that does, in fact, account for inflation. 
Um, but what other legs on that stool are going to account for inflation? Um, certainly not cash. So we're going to have to come up with other sources of income. And putting all of your money in the stock market is one way, for sure, because the stock market goes up with inflation uh, over time because as things get more expensive, so does uh, things that the goods and services that companies are providing. But the stock market also comes with a lot of volatility. So the real question over the next 10 or 20 years, Diane, will be how do we combat inflation, but how do we do it while limiting our volatility? If we don't limit our volatility, and volatility is a fancy word in my industry for saying the amount of money that you lose in the short run, which nobody likes, mm -hmm. how do we limit that bounce? How do we limit that, um, I just lost you know $20,000 last week in the stock market response? You have to have multiple, multiple sources of income who are combating inflation simultaneously that don't all react the same in the same environments. And that's where the planning comes in. And someone painted the picture for me about holding your money in cash with inflation. It's like for every $1,000, or I forget what it was at the time because it changes, but it's like just taking a $100 bill and just lighting it on fire. Poof, gone. Yeah, I mean, think about cost of stamps. Think about uh, anything you've bought over the years. You know, what was an, exper an expensive pair of tennis shoes 30 years ago, and what is it now? Look at just, you know, gasoline. We just talked about, uh, you know, the used cars. I mean, everything's going to go up in value. You just got to make sure that your income goes up simultaneously. And when you're retired, you are in charge of your own income. So we better invest it accordingly in ways that are going to combat that inflation. Should people be considering Bitcoin investing in that to battle inflation? Or is there anything else we're not thinking of or people aren't familiar with that they should consider looking at to help with inflation? Well, I don't think Bitcoin is a bad idea. And I'm certainly not of the category that, you know, there's a lot of people in my world that say Bitcoin's going to go to zero. It's a Ponzi scheme. I think even Donald Trump at one point said it was a Ponzi scheme or something to that effect. But then you have people like Elon Musk, obviously, investing in it. And there's a, there's a host of companies that are taking it. And the concept of Bitcoin is much like gold, but without the ability to make any more of it. So ultimately, there is a limited supply within some confines, and it's driven just by supply and demand. So theoretically, as the value of the dollar goes down, people want to hedge against that, much like they do with gold, and they'll buy Bitcoin. Can that drive up the price of Bitcoin? Of course, if people made a tremendous amount of money on Bitcoin over the last five years, Yes. Has the volatility been crazy in Bitcoin and can you stomach it? For most people, probably not. So is Bitcoin a potential or and by Bitcoin, I'm just using that almost Bitcoin has almost become the uh, the Kleenex of the tissue world. Right. Uh, Bitcoin. I, but you could use Ethereum. You could throw in any of the cryptocurrencies that are out there. Can they be a part of your portfolio that could hedge against inflation? Potentially, yes. Is anybody going to take their entire savings account and put it in Bitcoin knowing that they could lose 30% while they're sleeping and wake up with less money? I hope not, because you'll probably sell it at that point. You would have been better off holding the cash. So can you use cryptos? Yes. Am I an advocate in the long run of cryptos? Yes. Do I think you should tread lightly and allocate a small portion only? Yes. So be careful. Let me give you Josh's number, the Aptis Wealth Management Office number, so you can schedule your own personalized planning session with Josh. We call it the Aptis Blueprint Process. The phone number is 614-364-7300. 614-364-7300. 
800-500-0000. Josh's website is aptuswealth.com, and you can join Josh every Monday evening for Money Mondays with Bruce Hooley at 6 p.m. on 98.9 The Answer. More of the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick when we come back. Don't forget, you can hear Josh with Bruce Hooley for Money Mondays every Monday evening at 6 on 98.9 The Answer. We'll be back with more of the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show in a moment. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Let's talk about birthdays. What are the most important birthdays or age benchmarks? when someone is on the road to retirement? Well, there's three things that uh, have ages that I can think of off the top of my head. Number one is any kind of qualified plan. Two is healthcare and three is social security. So uh, when we're talking about qualified plans, I'm talking about all the alphabet soup, 401k, 403b, 457, IRA, everything except for a Roth IRA has four ages that are important. Age number one is 50. Once you turn 50, your plan probably allows you for some sort of catch-up contribution. Meaning if you're contributing to an IRA, the limit per year is 6,500. But if you're over the age of 50, then you can put in an extra thousand bucks. If you're in your 401k, you can put in an annual catch-up contribution, et cetera, et cetera. So age 50 in your qualified plan allows you to put in more money. Age 55 and 59 and a half are important dates. We probably, you've all heard of 59 and a half, and that's the age where if you take out money before 59 and a half, then you can get hit with a penalty. So on all these qualified plans, you've been putting money in tax before tax. It grows tax deferred, and then when you pull the money out, you pay taxes on it. But if you pull it out too early, pre-59 and a half, then you can get hit with another 10% penalty. Now, that is true of IRAs. But if you retire and or quit or or just quit working, once you're 55, if you have a 401k, 403b, et cetera, you can also do the same thing. So depending upon what type of plan you hold, 55 or 59 and a half, you eliminate that 10% penalty. And then the last number to pay attention to for qualified plans used to be the old 70 and a half. Now it's 72. By the time you reach age 72 or when you reach the age 72, you have to start taking money out of your qualified plans or there's a penalty. That uh, is called a minimum required distribution, and it is a calculation every year after you turn the age of 72. And if you do not take the appropriate amount, then there is a very significant penalty to the tune of 50%. So make sure that doesn't happen to you. Make sure you take your minimum required distribution, something that we keep very, very close track on in our office. So we make sure that any client of ours is not going to ever get hit with that penalty. Uh, second is healthcare. Healthcare magic number 65. So when you turn age 65, you have to sign up for Medicare. 
Uh, oftentimes, people wait to retire until they reach age 65 because they need the health care, uh, not at an atrocious cost. So if you retire at 64 and you say, well, I need health care, you're going to have to go out on the open market and pay for it, and it can be quite expensive. But once you reach the age of 65, you can get Medicare, Medicare supplements, all that stuff. Social Security, the other one that has, I guess, ages attached to it. Um, there are four ages I can think of that are important. Um, age 60, if you were uh, widowed or a widower, um, you have to wait until you're, you can start collecting, excuse me, your survivor benefits at age 60 is the earliest. So is there a reduction greater than age 62, 65, all these other numbers? Yes, but you can actually start collecting at 60. So if you are collecting survivor benefits, age 60 is the earliest. If you're collecting your own benefits or spousal benefits, 62 is the earliest age that you can begin collecting. So that's another important age. Then the next stage is for most people, their full retirement age, or the Social Security Administration will call it FRA, is either 66 or 67 or some number in between. And oftentimes people will say, well, this is the, the age that I can get my full benefit. That's not actually true. That's the benefit that they put on the front page of the statement they send you. But you can start collecting a percentage of that as low as 62 or even 60, if, again, if you're a surviving spouse. But then the next age above that is age 70. And age 70 is the highest age to which your Social Security grows to. So if you want to maximize your Social Security monthly benefit, you defer collecting that benefit until age 70, and that provides you the maximum benefit that you can receive. And that's, I think, the only ages I can think about. Qualified plans, 50, 55, 59, and a half, and 72. Healthcare, get away till you're 65. And then Social Security, ages ranging between 60 and 70, and all that has to do with is when you can start and the percentage that you'll get. That's a lot of numbers. That is a lot of numbers. If anyone has any questions, let me give you Josh's number. It is 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300. If you've got questions or if you'd like to schedule an appointment to go through the Aptus Blueprint process, that is the number to call. We're going to switch to taxes, Josh, and about charitable giving, but I did have a question first I saw on social media. Is it true for business owners that if they purchase a vehicle that is 6,000 pounds or heavier, that it's a complete write-off? Uh, well, what you're talking about is Section 179. Ooh, look um, at you. I think, yeah. Josh, you're rain man with these section codes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's a big one, so it comes up a lot. So Section 179 addresses vehicles and or equipment for businesses. And those vehicles or equipment could be anything from, you know, a car, truck, semi, a tractor, so on and so forth. Periodically, and to my knowledge today, and obviously disclaimer, consult your tax advisor or whoever prepares your taxes and make sure that this all applies to you. But as it exists today, if you have an, a car or, or a truck rather, or SUV that exceeds 6,000 pounds, you can take a bonus depreciation. So typically the way that this works is you have to depreciate that over a period of time. And for those of you who are just rolling your eyes or you know, you're ready to turn off the channel, let me explain what depreciation is first. You buy something for $50,000, they say you can depreciate it over five years. That means you actually get to write off on your taxes, if you're a business owner, $10,000 per year, at least limited to your business usage. 
So if you're also using this for your personal vehicle, you have to allocate a certain percentage. But let's just assume it's a 100% business usage vehicle. You write off $10,000 per year. If you're in the 25% tax bracket, let's say, which doesn't even exist, but it's easy math, um, then you're saving $2,500 a year on that purchase. So it, it effectively lowers the carrying cost of that vehicle for you. Well, the bonus depreciation can change from year to year. Some years ago, it was, you know, you can take up to 25000 in the first year. Now, um, I believe it's even more accelerated on certain items. So you might be able to deduct 100% of the cost of that vehicle in year one. Now, I will say that with a word of caution. And that is that if you depreciate that vehicle 100%, so you bought that vehicle for $50,000, you depreciated, you depreciated all of it. Now you have a basis of zero and you sell that vehicle and you get 30,000 for it. You have to either buy another vehicle with that to offset that gain because now you owe taxes on 30 grand because you, you depreciated it, but you got some of it back. So you have to be able to roll that into something else. So managing depreciation on vehicles or any assets for that matter as a business um, have to be just that they have to be managed. So make sure you have a Somebody you trust, somebody that's good, a tax pro, and uh, help them uh, and have them help you walk through that process and see what makes the most sense for you. So you tease this as boring, but where this gets sexy and interesting is that I hear you can get a Mercedes G wagon, which is a luxury vehicle, and write that off. So that's why well, I brought that up. If you're trying to justify spending two hundred thousand dollars on an SUV, I think you're really going to have a hard time justifying <laughs> that, regardless of the depreciation. But if you do want to do that, then I don't know exactly if that qualifies, but I would assume that uh, that's a pretty heavy vehicle, as Mercedes are, and I'm sure they qualify. It qualifies. And, you know, right. while we're dreaming of having a lot of money, I'm just getting mentally prepared for what to do. <laughs> All right. <laughs> sure. Getting back to reality, though. Uh, charitable giving. So how does that have an added benefit when it comes to taxes, as other than, you know, be feeling good that you're helping that may be the most amazing segue of all time, talking about $200,000 <laughs> plus SUVs and moving right into charitable giving. We cover okay, the range. We cover the gamut here. <laughs> sure. So the, the charitable giving. One of the downsides to the Trump tax code that I hear oftentimes about is we lost, to a large degree, our charitable giving uh, deduction. And the reason that's the case is because you can only... Uh, write off a certain amount of things on that itemized deduction sheet. Charitable contributions were limited drastically as a result of that, so people are effectively losing their deduction for charitable giving. And for those of you who don't understand what I'm saying here, let's talk about it this way. Say I give $200 a month to my church. I used to be able to write that off of my taxes, and now effectively I cannot. So I'm giving 200 and it's costing me 200 In the past, I used to give 200 but I saved 20% in taxes on it, so it only felt like 160 so I can actually give more than I could before. Well, now that's a little bit more challenging. There are some ways around that. One would be, since we just got done talking about businesses, if you own a business, give that charitable contribution from your business, and that is still a full deduction. The second way is through something called a qualified charitable contribution or distribution. And it's limited to 100,000 bucks, but if you have to take a minimum required distribution or a distribution out of your IRA, you can have that institution, let's say that your IRA is held at TD Ameritrade. You can call TD Ameritrade and say, I understand that I have to take $11,000 as a minimum required distribution this year because I'm 73 years old. I would like to send 6,000 of that directly to my church or to St. Jude or whatever your charity of choice is, and I'll take the other 5,000 sent to me. 
the 6000 that you sent directly to the charity, and it has to be a qualified charity, can't be your friend Bob, it has to be a qualified charity, that is not taxed in any way. It does not need to be itemized. It does not need to, there is no additional effort that needs to be put into that other than you do not have to pay taxes on that now. So it is a 100% tax deductible no matter what your tax scenario, the end. Of course, consult your tax pro and make sure that this applies to you, but it applies to everybody. So make that contribution directly from your IRA. So oftentimes, Diane, I'm telling people, you know, when we talk to them about minimum required distributions and they say, oh, man, I really didn't want to take that. Do you want to be philanthropic with it? Yes or no. If you do, then it's a tax non-issue. If you don't, then you have to pay taxes on it. Um, the other way is you have a highly appreciated stock. It's not in an IRA, but you just have this stock that you've held for a really long period of time. You paid 10 bucks for it. Now it's worth 50 bucks and you own a lot of it. You can donate that highly appreciated stock, and you don't have to pay taxes on the appreciation. It's a way to reallocate your portfolio um, and give to the charity of your choice, maybe reducing you know, some risk on your end as well. So there's a bunch of different ways that you can give to charities that will actually benefit you on the tax front. To schedule an appointment to go through the Aptus Blueprint process, the Aptus office number is 614-364-7300. You can call Josh at 614-364-7300. And you can always join him as he talks retirement with Bruce Hooley every Monday at 6 p.m. on 98.9 The Answer for Money Mondays. The recording you can always find at aptuswealth.com. More with Josh Pick when we come back. You are listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. Josh, what are some of the biggest concerns your clients are are asking you these days? Oh, by far it's inflation, which we covered earlier today. Um, inflation is a huge one. You know, that's, that's combined with where we are in the stock market. Uh, fortunately or unfortunately, uh, all my clients are old enough that they have experienced downturns in the market, significant downturns in the market. Think 08, 09, 01, 02. And why I say they're old enough is shockingly, and I thought about this the other day, People in their early 30s that, uh, you know, let's say they went to college, they got out of college, they're 22 years old, and they've been investing. Um, It's very conceivable that they're in their mid-30s and have never experienced a downturn of investing ever in their entire life. So it'd be very difficult. Um, I think we learn from pain sometimes, and it's hard to learn those lessons without a little bit of pain. They haven't experienced any of those. Fortunately, they're young enough that uh, if they just ride out the storm, they'll be fine. But when you think about things like, uh, you know, in in 1999-2000, right at the dot-com bubble, when it burst, you know, Microsoft was one of the greatest companies uh, the economy had ever seen during that time. They were one of the 10 companies that were responsible for 
uh, approximately 90% of the gains of the stock market in 99. When the bubble burst and it corrected, it took Microsoft over 15 years to get back to even. Now, Microsoft last year, I'm not saying they're a bad company. I'm certainly not picking on them. Last year, they were one of the top six companies in the entire S&P 500. So uh, obviously a great company, but that level of volatility can wreak havoc on somebody's retirement portfolio. Imagine if you're retiring at 65 and you were holding Microsoft and you retired in 1999 and the bubble burst. It took you until you were 80, 81 years old before you got back to even from that bubble bursting. So people have experienced that that I work with and their challenge or their concern is, well, I know inflation's a problem and I know I need to stay invested to combat inflation, but what if we're in, we're right on the precipice of another, of another bubble bursting? What if, what if we're, we're just rounding the turn on the big drop? I'm 65 years old. I'm going to retire six months from now. I want to make sure I protect what it's taken me my whole life to build. But at the same time, I know I can't just put all my money under the mattress because there's that devil, you know, down there called inflation that's going to take some of my money from me. How do I do it? And the answer is, uh, we say this all the time, uh, you have to stay invested. What you're invested in is very important. Limiting volatility is very important. Having multiple streams of income is incredibly important. And making sure that you have an all-weather portfolio that can uh, allow you to continue to, con to receive the income that you need during downturns. Because one of the biggest fears of this is if you're all invested in the same thing and that particular asset class goes down by 50%, and then you take money off of that. You're exacerbating a problem. And on average, when you think about these, we're not even talking about depressions, but recessions, they can take you know, two, three years. On average, I think it's three and a half years to get back to even. Well, if you're taking money off of something that's already cut in half, that takes three, years to, three and a half years to get back to even, that can be a wrap. You, you, might be, you might have bled out that portfolio to the point that you can never recover. So you have to have assets invested in something that can weather a three to four year storm that allow you to allow those other things to continue to do what they need to do and come back to even. So the big thing here, and, and I, I say this because it, it's a conversation that's happened every day. How do I build an investment portfolio of multiple different types of things that don't all act the same, that have parameters or think of it as uh, training wheels to make sure that the bike doesn't completely fall over. Sure, it's going to teeter you know, up and down, but we want to make sure that we don't fall down entirely. How do I put those parameters to make sure if the market pulls back by 50% that I, I know I, I can't have everything. I might lose some money, but how do I limit that to 5 or 10%? And then when the market turns back around, I benefit so that my chart doesn't look like a roller coaster ride that's going to make me puke but moreover looks like something that's an income generator that's going to provide for the rest of my life. That's something that can be done. It's something we do every day, but it's something that you have to be proactive about. And uh, right now you're in a great time. So now's a great time to look at things. So your clients currently are cognizant of the fact that the bottom can fall out and, and the market is cyclical. The people that you talk about who are in their 30s that have never experienced a loss are in for a rude awakening. And they're probably like, I don't need a financial advisor. Like, I'm just making money hand over fist. Do you find that attitude? Yeah, I do. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, Diane. So let's think about it. If you're in your 30s, and uh, let's say that the same story I just told, Microsoft goes down, takes 15 and a half years to get back to even. Over the last you know, 30 years or 20 years, it's been a good investment. It hasn't been awful. You would have done well. Um, so for the, those people they'll be fine. The concern I have is not whether or not somebody who's in their mid-30s 
has the time to weather an economic downturn. It's whether or not they have the intestinal fortitude to do it. And what I see oftentimes is people, even in their 30s, when they lose 30 or 40%, they go, oh, my Lord, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't, I didn't know this is what actually happened. I mean, I know that people talked about it, but I've never actually seen 100000 of my money go to 60 in a very short period of time. I'm getting the heck out of this, and I'm not getting back in. And then invariably what ends up happening, Diane, is they get out, and then when it climbs back up, they go, I was an idiot. I missed the boat. I can't keep doing this. I need to invest it again. They invest it again, and they get double whammied, and they get caught right in the next drop because they buy at the peak. And then they never get back in, and their financial retirement goals become difficult, if not impossible. So it's important to still go through a planning process and an, that in turn leads to an educational experience, if you want to call it, of to what to expect. And expectations are everything. So that when it happens, you know what to do. Because panic makes us do, or uneducated decision making, makes us do really dumb things. And I, hate, I would hate for those people who have made so much money over the last 10 years to lose it all and then lock in those losses by pulling the ripcord. So go through a process of learning so that you know what to do when that happens. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, what are some of the most common ways uh, people waste money or people in retirement waste money that you just kind of cringe at? Well, one, they buy G-Wagons. Oh, really? See, I thought that was going to be a smart move. (laughs) For those of you who have been listening, uh, Diane was talking about buying a G-Wagon and justifying it through tax deductions. I was saying I heard. I heard you heard asking for a friend. Yes. Asking for a friend. (laughs) No, but all all kidding aside, I mean, I'm sure uh, I'm glad you clarified that with people who are in retirement. And uh, I've certainly made some dumb purchases in my younger years. uh, So I think it's important that we segment out to the people who are wiser than me in my younger years. And uh, we're talking about retirement mistakes now. One is getting the wrong me, financial advisors. Many financial advisors, and I'm not picking on anybody individually, simply charge too much. So one way that they can really erode their success ratio or their retirement portfolio is simply paying too much in fees and commissions over time. And it may seem like, well, it's only you know a half a percent more than the other person. Well, a half a percent over a long period of time can really dig into your retirement savings. Uh, The other one, um, I'd say remodeling your home can get out of hand. And I'm not suggesting that you don't remodel your home as you enter into retirement. I don't think that's a bad idea. But I think oftentimes it's easy to get in that, well, I'm going to get everything done now so that I never have another issue with my house for the rest of my life. And then I don't have to worry about that. Sound thinking. Other than... You know, erroneously spending hundreds of thousands of dollars in your retirement savings early on can have a catastrophic effect over time. So the thought process is, well, yes, but if I knock this out, I'm doing it at today's prices and I still have these other assets, I'll be fine. You're also giving up future earnings on those dollars and thus cutting into your inflation protection overall. So I would um, make sure you keep home remodels within reason. Another one, uh, and I'm just spitballing off the top of my head here, Diane, but supporting adult children I see all the time. 
and this can get sketchy because obviously I, you know, father of three kids. I, I hate when I see my kids suffer. See, my dad didn't and, have that problem. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think my mom had that problem either now that I think about it. But but I see oftentimes where we've, you know, it's been, there's been some ups and downs in the economy um, and people have certainly have felt that, but people can also get pretty, quite dependent on it. And when we're successful, oftentimes um, people will help their kids because look at all the abundance that I've uh, received in my life and my kids are starting out and they're struggling and I remember what that felt like and I'll help them along the way. But then I retire and I don't want to stop that and now maybe, God forbid, my kids are even dependent on it. And that can really dig into your economic viability for your future. So be very cautious and careful about giving too much of your money to your kids and it negatively affecting you. And then, um, well, here's another one. Uh, scams. They're getting good. Uh, it used to be that these scams seemed so obvious. You know, you had a call that says, oh, I'm from the Department of Homeland Security. They speak a language that clearly isn't from the Department of Homeland Security, saying all you have to do is, you know, give me all of your information and access to your computer, and I'll, I'll make sure we don't have to come arrest you. I mean, these are all pretty obvious scams that we should be able to see through. However, these scams are getting remarkably good. One, for example, that I just turned into the uh, Delaware County Sheriff's Office is from the IRS. It looks like it's from the IRS. I owned a tax practice for a number of years. I've dealt with the IRS many times. This looks like an IRS letter in every capacity. The only way you would notice it's not an IRS letter is because it says, Dear Taxpayer, instead of Dear Your Name. Other than that, it looks like an IRS letter in every capacity. The only way you would know it is your name, and then where it says Social Security number, the IRS will usually, or always, put at least the last four digits of your social there. And it's the last four digits are just stars. But unless you notice those two things, there is no way that you would notice this as a scam. And all it says is we need to verify your identity. You call, it answers just like an IRS line. It says, if you have this letter number, press 1. By pressing 1, depending upon the mobile phone that you're on, you just allowed that particular company access to all of your phone information. So whatever's on your smartphone is now theirs. I've heard of people losing hundreds of thousands of dollars out of all of their accounts very, very quickly just by pressing the number 1. They didn't even talk to anybody. Be very, very cautious. If you get a letter from the IRS, call your tax professional. Ask them, is this legitimate? If you get anything from anybody, verify it. These scams are getting very, very good, and people are getting taken for a lot of money. Great information. Thank you, Josh. Besides the weekend, you can hear Josh with Bruce Hooley every Monday at 6 for Money Mondays on 98.9 The Answer. That is 6 p.m. And you can catch us every weekend here at the same time. Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That is 614-364-7300. Thanks for spending time with us today so much. Have a great weekend, everyone. You've been listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with host Josh Pick. Josh helps guide his clients through retirement by managing risk instead of chasing returns. He calls it a blueprint, and you can get started at no cost or obligation. Give the team at Aptus Wealth a call today to schedule your consultation at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300 or online at aptuswealth.com. That's A-P-T-U-S wealth.com. 
to learn strategies to manage risk in the new economy. Join us again next weekend right here at 98.9 The Answer. Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims-paying ability of the issuing company.